Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, this is KYW's Dave Uram. It's May 14th, and on this date, there have been a couple of very memorable moments in Flyers history. The one that probably comes most commonly to everybody's minds is 10 years ago today when the Flyers upset the Bruins in Game 7 of the second round to complete that comeback from down 3-0 in the series and down 3-0 in Game 7 in Boston. But there's one that happened 23 years prior to that. 33 years ago today, that's pretty significant as well. The scene is the Montreal Forum. Flyers, Canadians, conference championship, Flyers lead three games to two. They go on to win the game. They go on to advance in the Stanley Cup final, but before the game, there was a huge fight. I had the pleasure of speaking with defenseman Brad Marsh, who's also the president of the Flyers alumni, and Captain Dave Pullen about many great moments in Flyers history that we'll share with you in the upcoming weeks and the upcoming podcast as we progress through the calendar. But right now, first up though, May 14th, 1987, 33 years ago today, that story and others leading up to it during the 86-87 season. First up is Brad Marsh. Enjoy. Ron Hextall just bursts onto the scene. He makes the team out of camp. Keenan starts him over Bob Froze in the opener. How surprising was it to you that that Keenan put Hextall over Froze when, when Froze performed very well the season before? Well, it was you know very surprising. Probably the the player that was the most surprised was Bob Froze. Uh, but you know that's how Keenan operated on uh, operated. He he lived in the moment, and he was going to do whatever he thought best for the team to win that game that night. And I don't know what was going through his mind, but you know, perhaps he had to, you know, send. He wanted to send a message to the team. And if Frozy was in net, who won the top goalie award uh, the year before? Um, I think that they renamed it that year to there's the Vesna Trophy, then they introduced the Jennings Trophy or something. But he was top goalie uh, the year before. And uh, I think the message that Keenan, because he loves sending messages, the message he wanted to send was, okay, boys, we're putting the rookie in that. Every one of you better play an A-plus game tonight to protect that rookie goaltender. Whereas if Frozy was in that, we might have played a little comfortable, if you know what I mean. And you definitely protected him well, and, and he performed well. You guys had won another Patrick division, had another great season, did so despite so many injuries again. You beat the Rangers in the first series 4-2, to two, and then in the second series, you have the Islanders, who just overcame a 3-1 deficit to get to that second playoff series, and they had a chance to do it again 
Game seven at the Spectrum. I don't. I don't think in the Keenan era there was a game seven up to that point. And you guys win five to one. And Dave Poulin's playing with with another fractured rib. What did it show about Dave in in, in that moment and in, in that on that day to play through that injury and perform as well as he did to advance to another conference final? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. And as I said, like this team, there was all so many players that stepped up and stepped up. If you look at the first round, yes, we beat the Rangers, but. Uh, once again, we're playing the Rangers, our ne- nemesis, nemesis in the first round. Rangers won game one of, of that first round series in 86-87. And in game, seven, uh, and in game two at the Spectrum, uh, we started a little tentative. And what turned the tide was the Dave Brown fight. I, forgot, I forget who he fought, but he beat the snot out of him. And uh, the Spectrum crowd went crazy, as you can imagine. And... Uh, they showed the fight on the big screen. The spectrum went crazy again, and you weren't supposed to show fights on the big screen, and, but we showed it anyhow. And uh, we came back and we won that game easily, and that set the table for the rest of the series against the Rangers. And it was because of Dave Brown and his fists that uh, that, that you know Mark Howe, you know, he won the in '84 '85 season. His overtime goal took the monkey off her back. Well, it was Dave Brown and his fists that really. Uh, set the table for us in our Stanley Cup run of eight, uh, in, in, in 87. But Pooley, um, you know, he's just a, an incredible leader. And, uh, you know, that was the mentality that he had, the mentality of many of the players on the Flyers had is we're going to play and we're going to play even if we're injured. And so when you're putting your skates on the dressing room and you see injured player, after injured player coming in and struggling to tie up their skates because you have broken ribs, you can't pull them as tight as you want. And, uh, you know, help getting his shoulder pads on. Like, you better be ready to play because this guy is putting everything on the line to, to play. So it was, uh, you know, it was a great inspiration. And I might add, I didn't score many goals, but I scored a goal in that in that game seven against the Islanders. Kelly Rudy was the goalie. <laughs> That's definitely a good goal to remember, Brad. Absolutely. I mean, I can't forget you scored a goal in Game 7. I'm so glad that you brought up Dave Brown. And shame on me for not bringing him up to this point. I'm so, I'm so glad you brought him up because that leads to, to the next thing and a day that, I, that I'm highlighting here. May 14th, 1987. 33 years ago today, you're against Montreal in the Wales Conference Finals. In that series, you guys dropped two out of three at the Spectrum, but you won all three at the Forum. And the third one that you won was this day 33 years ago, Game 6. That game, Brad, as you know, is remembered for just as much as what happened before the game than during the game. A giant brawl before the puck dropped. I'm curious, from your recollection, Brad, how did that start? Well, you know, Montreal players had a ritual where, you know, they put the puck in the visiting team's net. You know, it was called them, called them. Of them, you mainly did it, and Shane Corson, and you know we knew this, and you know they they were going to do it, and you know they they went off the ice, and they were hiding behind the curtain, and uh, and then Chico Resch, you know, pretended he was going off the ice, and they came back onto the ice, and Chico went on the ice, and Ned Hospitar went on the ice, and and chased them around, and. Uh, and then pretty soon we were all in the dress <clears throat> the dressing room and the word goes out, hey, there's a fight up in the ice. And we're going, what the heck? 
And so it's available. The fight is uh, the brawl. The fight in the in warm up is, is available on YouTube. So I encourage people to go look at it. You'll see, you know, us come out of the dress room in various states of uh, disrobe. Like Doug Crossman came out in his flip flops because he had already taken his uh, skates off. And most players after warm up, when they get in the dress room, they'll take off their jersey, shoulder pads, elbow pads, they'll loosen their skates and. They just get ready to do their thing before the puck drops for real. And, and you know, Flyers did it, Montreal did it. And, uh, you know, so every ball, the dressing room's empty out and there's a skirmish. And a lot of it initially was, uh, you know, Eddie did, uh, you know, uh, fill in uh, Claude Lemieux. But a lot of it was kind of pushing and shoving and a scrum and we're yelling, you know, bad words at each other and then, uh, and then the heavyweights came out and Brownie came out and he had nothing on. He just had his, his, his pants on and he'd already taken his shoulder pads off. And so he had nothing to grab onto. And when you're in a fight, you have to grab onto the Jersey. So you have something to hold onto. And then you start swinging Chris Nyland, heavyweight from Montreal. He comes out, he has all his equipment on. And, uh, so it didn't take long for the two heavyweights to square off. And, and, uh, it was an epic battle. And of course, Nyland was at a disadvantage. Number one, he's not in the class of Dave Brown, although he's very game and a very tough dude and, and a great guy and a great teammate. He had nothing to grab onto. So Brownie was holding on to Nyland, his jersey, and, and, uh, and Nyland had nothing. So he was, he had, you know, he was just trying to keep his balance. And so, uh, they went at it and went at it for a long time. And, uh, Finally, it was all broken up. We went into our dressing room and uh, waited for the game, just waited for the Zamboni to come out to clean the ice, and away we started. How much do you think the fight affected what happened in the game? Because the the, the Canadians got out to a 3-1 lead, and you guys had to rally to win 4-3 and move on to the Cup. You you figure if, if something like that would happen, that it would just the team that won would just come out of the gates and, and take a lead and never look back, but it, it wasn't like that. So, what do you, what kind of effect do you think that had on the game in Game Six? Um, you know, to be honest, I can't really remember what the feelings were in the dressing room afterwards. All, obviously, initially there was some chuckling, like, "Do you believe what just happened?" And uh, but you know, Keenan uh, and uh, and, and uh, as the coach, he came in and he 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 got us back on page pretty damn quick. Okay, boys, put that aside. We got a hockey game to play, and uh, I would think that the coaches at that time played as big a role as they ever did, getting us refocused uh, to to play that game. That's former Flyers defenseman Brad Marsh, current president of the Flyers Alumni Association, talking about that memorable day in 1987 when the Flyers beat Montreal to move on to the Stanley Cup final. Next up. I asked Dave Poulin about that day and everything leading up to it in that 1986-87 Flyers season. Here's part of my conversation with former Flyers captain Dave Poulin. As the captain, how surprising was it that, that Mike Keenan went with Ron Hextall over Bob Froze? You know, I was shocked. I mean, right, uh, and I, can, I know the exact moment when I found out, and it was during the morning skate of opening night, and... I was skating around and I was tight with Bobby Froze and I said, how you feel? And he said, not good. I said, what's up? Because I'm not in tonight. I said, are you kidding me? He said, nope, he's playing the kid. And that was the first, you know, so there was no indication to us. We knew Hexy was up and coming. 
we knew that, you know, we'd also won the Jennings Award the year before with Darren Benson and Bobby Froze. We were a good team and a good defensive team. And, you know, we were at a different level of rest having lost in the first round of the Rangers. So we came back hungry. And that was a different team because of Hexy. You know, his style was different. He took a huge amount of pressure off the defenseman who all of a sudden didn't have to go back to get the puck. And, you know, I mean, Mark Howe probably didn't get hit for the next four years. And, you know, which was a, quite a luxury. And it was an adjustment to the style of play. But I, I mentioned earlier in an interview that, you know, while Pelly Lindbergh taught us how to win as a young group and, and we were, I was, you know, a couple full years with him with that young group, um, it was Hexy who expected to win. His swagger on the ice was enormous in that next team. That was a, that grew into a much more confident, swaggering team to me than the 80-45 team was. You had Rick Tockett, who was really coming into his own. Um, Dave Brown was a big part of that 86-87 team. You just had, you had more depth. You know, we were better players. Timmy Kerr, you know, now in his third out of four straight 50-goal seasons, or and, and we were a, a much better team and a much more confident team. And I think that proved throughout the year. We won in a different way. And we could beat you physically. We could beat you on the scoreboard. Our goalie was better than yours. I mean, we could beat you any way you want to go play. Hextall did defined a large portion of that 87 season. And as, as outsiders, Dave, we, we've seen two sides of Ron Hextall. We've seen in Philadelphia the GM side, which he most recently had, where he was rather low-key. I felt as a, as a GM in terms of his personality, and then the other side that we saw was the maniacal Hextall on the ice, the the the, the intense, as you said, uh, you know, energetic spark on on the ice. Was he like that off the ice? That that maniacal personality, he would go after guys and fight guys and all that intensity. Was he like that off the ice, or was he was he more was he sim down off simmer down off the ice? like he was kind of as a GM where his personality was much more low-key? A much calmer person off the ice without a question, Dave. And, you know, if I think about, this is the best way for me to think about Ron Hextall. And he had a bandwidth. And every player does have a bandwidth in which they play. And if Hexy was above the top end of the bandwidth, he wasn't very good because he was out of control. And if he was below the bottom end of his bandwidth, he wasn't very good because he wasn't emotional enough. And so I think, you know, through that, I got to know him really well as a person. And, and I prided myself on knowing where he was in that bandwidth and, and maybe elevating him if he, I thought he was below it or being able to control him if I thought he was getting out of control. But it was a very high level of bandwidth, but it had its range within in how he performed. And if he was at the top end without going over, he was at his absolute best. But he needed to be emotional and fiery to play. He couldn't get down too low into that bandwidth. And, you know, and that's the same for a lot of players. But he stayed, you know, within it at his best. He didn't get too low and he didn't get too high. And when he went out, you know, he went out. I mean, the classic for me was, in, you know, I'll flash forward a couple of years in 89 when he went after Chris Chelios. 
uh, in game six at home in the conference finals and, you know, gear all over the place. And he got kicked out of the game and, and we lost to Montreal in game six, that Paul Holmgren team. And I remember walking in the locker room and I was involved in the fight that ensued after, you know, all chaos broke out. And I remember walking in the locker room and Hexie was just kind of sitting quietly in the corner and I looked at him and he said, what? I said, what? What do you mean, what? He goes, well, what's wrong? I said, well, you, you just, you know, caused an international incident out there. I mean, you know, absolute mayhem. And he looked at me and he said in a real calm voice, oh, I just didn't want to shake Chelios' hand after the game. As calm as could be. And, and that probably symbolizes it best, you know. He knew what he was doing. But when he went, he was going. And uh, what a great teammate and a great fiery leader. And But as calm and quiet off the ice as you would have thought, you know, or the the persona you saw as a general manager. And you rode his success and his play to another Patrick Division championship. Tim Kerr had another 50-plus goal season, as, as you mentioned. The team was injured for a lot of it. Brian Propp missed a lot of games. In the playoffs, you're battling another, another rib injury. Beat the Rangers in the first series 4-2. You almost give up a 3-1 series lead to the Islanders in the second round, but you won game seven at the Spectrum, a game that you played a big part in, again, with that fractured rib. And now you're off to Montreal. And you lose two out of three at the Spectrum, Dave, but you win all three at the Forum, which takes me to the date that I want to highlight here, and that's May 14th, 1987, 33 years ago today. The Forum of Montreal, a game that's remembered for what happened beforehand just as much as what happened during. Claude Lemieux and Corson shot the puck in your net pregame, and that set everything off. It set Hospital off. It set everybody off. What do you remember about the big pregame brawl? Well, this had been going on for a couple of games, Dave, and I uh, hadn't played earlier in that series. I actually broke three ribs spirally. Um, against the Rangers. So I played against the Islanders. And that night, playing against the Islanders, I'd flown out to California and, and been fitted for a, a custom-made flak jacket. And coming back in game seven against the Islanders, I managed to then tear all the cartilage between my ribs. So not only had three broken ribs, I had torn cartilage as well. And so now flash forward to game six against Montreal. And I had not played in the preceding games. And so I had watched what had gone on during the warm-up. And what was happening was at the end of warm-up in their home building, Shane Corson and Claude Lemieux would stay out after the other team had gone and would shoot pucks into the other team's net, and the crowd would roar. And so if you were a visiting team member, you were sitting in your locker room. They're like, what's going on? The crowd's roaring. They're getting all revved up. Well, these two guys had stayed out and were shooting pucks into the net. And so if I backtrack, I believe – the game prior to that, maybe the game in Montreal or maybe it was the game in Philly, game four or five, Chico Resch had simply taken the net and pushed it back against the boards and turned it around so they couldn't do that. And and maybe that was two games before. And then the game, the next game, he did the same thing. I think it went on for three games total. Well, in that game, Hospitor wasn't going to dress in the game. And so he told Chico Resch to stay on the ice with him and they wouldn't let these two guys do that. So Corson and Lemieux leave the ice, and they're behind the curtain where they would go down the hallway to their bench. And so Chico and Eddie start off the ice, 
And when they get off almost to our locker room, it's a very short distance, they turn around, and sure enough, of course, Ned Lemieux had come back on the ice. So that's when Eddie and Chico went back on the ice. And I believe it was Turk Evers who ran in the locker room, one of our trainers, and said, there's a brawl going on. There's a brawl going on. Well, at this point, everybody's in different states of dress. And after the warm-up, you know, I took my skates off. I, I was totally undressed. I mean, I, I had my pants and my shin pads on. So I'm scrambling to tie my skates up, and guys are going out in all different, you know, <laughs> different levels of dress. I remember Mark Howe, uh, he went out, he had no shirt on, no sweater, and Mark was, you know, built like a brick house. And But he put his elbow pads on and brought his stick. And he just looked at me and said, I've been in a few of these in the WHA. Bring a stick. <laughs> and, and Doug Crossman famously went out on the ice in his shower shoes. And I threw a jersey on, but, you know, Dave Brown, I think, had a, had a rib protector on, but no jersey on. And, and he and Chris Nyland were the highlight of the match. I think they fought three times during that ensuing 20-plus minutes of chaos. And, you know, there were peacemakers on both teams and there were agitators on both teams and there were guys in between on both teams. And it, it was it was really surreal. And I'm surprised to this day they've never changed the rules and had referees on the ice for warm-up for that incident alone. Um, you know, it just the emotion of it, you know, Mike Keenan famously locking Ron Hextall in the locker room and not letting him get involved and Hexy beside himself thinking the Canadians were going to have one more player on the ice than we did. And someone was going to get beat up and it was going to be his fault. And just the different orchestrations that went into that evening, um, you know, and, and then we just flat out went out and won the hockey game. Why do you think Corson and Lemieux did that? Was it, was it just a, a pregame superstition that they had when they were at, when, when they were at the forum? Yeah, I think it was just, it was just a pregame superstition and, they were going to continue it. You know, they're both brash young guys, both brash young tough guys. And, you know, they were getting the crowd fired up. That's all they were doing. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the veterans on the Montreal Canadiens, the Gamies, the Robinsons, had no interest in coming out and getting in a pregame brawl with the Philadelphia Flyers, trust me. And, uh, and yet they were in the middle of it as well. How do you think it affected the game? Because Montreal took a three to one lead, but you guys scored the last three, turned around, and advanced to the to the cup. So, what what kind of effect do you think that the pregame brawl, fight, scrum had on the the actual game? I feel like we settled down pretty well in the locker room. I really did. Um, I remember hilariously, I walked back towards the washroom area, and Eddie Hospital was back there shaving and combing his hair, and he knew he was going to play, and he said, you don't take him in the lineup tonight, do you? And I said, well, I didn't think you were in the lineup before you did that. I certainly don't think you are now. <laughs> and, and, you know, things calmed down. I had to go with Larry Robinson into the referee's room. And so I had to go outside our locker room, down the hall a little bit to the referee's room, and I met with Larry Robinson and the referees and just trying to settle things down. And... Um, but I think things calmed down pretty quickly. And then the game took over. And they were a great defensive team. We had had a really hard time getting pucks through the net. And I think that was the, there was a real series of the coming out of, of Pelly Lindbergh, or Pelly Eklund, rather, um, playing with Brian Propp and, and Rick Talk. And I think they had a couple of goals, a couple of key goals. And, uh, you know, once again, we were back to being our brash selves and said it doesn't matter 
And throughout that year, it didn't matter if we were up in a game, down in a game, whatever. And this was by design with Mike Keenan. You know, this was now his third year of operation. And he wanted to make us, his big thing was expect the unexpected. And whatever happened, whatever was in our way, you just kept going. And he was provided the role of the unexpected quite often. You know, the way he challenged us, the way he, you know, would do crazy things to individuals at given points to try and get teammates to rally around them. And, you know, a lot of the time the, the angst was coming straight at me and he knew that my teammates would stand up around me and then it'd be us against him. And the goal of that the entire time was to make us a team that could compete through anything. It didn't matter if there was a pregame brawl. It didn't matter if we were down 3-1. It didn't matter if we were playing in the Montreal Forum. Find a way to do it. That's Dave Poulin about that memorable day in 1987 when the Flyers fought Montreal and then beat Montreal to move on to the Stanley Cup Final. Dave is also an analyst for TSN up in Toronto, so I asked him what he thinks about the current Flyers team and whether or not hockey's going to resume this season. Dave, when, when you look at the Flyers now, so, you know I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, when you, when you look at them now before everything stopped, they were rolling. They really were. They were playing some good hockey. What What do you make of them this season before everything stopped? Well, they're arguably the hottest team in the NHL and seem to be hitting on all cylinders. And, you know, goaltending has been such an issue for them over time. And, you know, it appears that Young Hart is, is the real deal. And, uh, you know, they're, they're having a good year in net all the way around. In the components, you know, you've got a, you've got more depth, certainly. And, uh, you know, you've got your superstars in Drew and Voracek and Couturier I'm a huge fan of. So I think you've got a lot of the elements and, you know, they have to be a team that's, that's literally, you know, waiting to come back and just pick up right where they left off. And, uh, you know, and, and Chuck Fletcher's done a good job of adding, but the core of that team was certainly there. And, you know, Hextall very patiently put that group together. And a lot of it is coming to fruition right now. Do you think that, you know, sitting here, we're, we're recording this on May 14th. Do, do you think that sitting here right now, do you think that there's going to be a season? And, 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 if, and if you do, Dave, would you feel comfortable as a player coming back to play, you know, when, when there's still some, I guess, some risk out there? You know, we don't know what it's going to be like in the coming weeks and months, but it's, I assume there's still going to be some risk for, for a little while now for, for everybody, hockey player or not. Do you think there's going to be a season, and would you feel comfortable playing if there was? Yeah, there are just so many unknowns now, and I think they're trying to check off every box as they go and with whatever they're presented with on that day. And if you'd asked me nine weeks ago, is the world going to shut down for nine weeks? I'd say not a chance, and yet it has. It's amazing what's gone on. You know, in this day and age, and, and the world, this isn't something specific to a geography or – a culture or, you know, a country. I mean, this is the world and it shut down. And so moving forward, the transition out is going to be very, very challenging. And in Ontario this weekend, um, we're going to be allowed to golf for the first time. And so um, I think all eyes will be on golf initially and say, well, how's that going? And then as we transition back each step of the way, I do think there will be an end of the season. I mean, I'm an optimist, but, I don't think they'll be the end of the regular season. I think they'll go from here into some sort of playoff format. And basically anything goes. Whatever a team is told, would I as a player come back? Not today, probably, but, you know, we've got to advance 
and transition back into life and see what steps have to be taken and, and help people do that. And, you know, just as all eyes are going to be on golf will be the first sport to play professionally, I believe of the big two on June 11th hmm. in Texas and all eyes will be on them, you know, in, in every way. Right. But I think players are anxious to get back when it's safe to get back, just as the world is anxious to get back when it's safe to get back. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. Coming up in the upcoming days and weeks, I'll share with you other moments in Flyers history that I had the fortunate opportunity to speak with Brad Marsh and Dave Poulin about. Coming up in a couple of days, we got Dave Poulin's shorthanded goal against the Nordiques. And then in about a week or so from now, about a week and a half from now, J.J. Daniels' 1987 goal in Game 6 against the Oilers. You'll hear Brad's and Dave's thoughts on that. Thank you very much. Stay safe, stay well, and thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.